This is part one of a two-part podcast. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul conversation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. All right, the numbers are counting. You got you got a list. You're going to write? Your list is ready? Yes, I got a list. Okay, so I'm here with Cat 2, not to be confused with Cat 1. Um, and so Cat is here, but she's a totally different cat than the cat that was here four months ago, five months ago, last summer. Um, it's November now. Thanksgiving's approaching. And um, uh, so, okay, so, so Cat said... That she felt like I should record a podcast that is a, I don't know, what, a, a biography? A little more biographical than normal. And I said, why the fuck would anybody want to know, like, where I was born? And she said, not that. What? Don't be stupid. <laughs> and so, all right. So she's made a list of questions. And I don't know what they are. But apparently they're going to be a little more personal, but somehow tied to permaculture still. And so, and one of the examples that she gave me in in the beginning um, was pretty. But let me let me turn this around on you, Kat, just for a second. So, you you live in Tacoma normally, and yeah. and the aroma from Tacoma is no longer there. I know because I've driven past Tacoma recently, and it was and I didn't smell anything. So you're making a face like, oh no. It's still there. It's kind of moved north, like between Tacoma and Seattle. Oh, and okay. it's it's occasional. It's not all the time. Okay, all right, all right. Because it used to be there's a paper mill there, and you got you driving down the freeway or something by Tacoma. Wow, that was a powerful stench. Now and we have a different aroma. It's it's the very green aroma. Yeah, um, all the industrial areas just and half the city smells like pot. 90% of the time. <laughs> That's right. Washington State legalized marijuana. That's right. And now I I know that you have mentioned that since you're living in the city, that um, it, I kind of read the subtext in that, that living here, uh, which we are extremely rural, um, uh, maybe there's some benefit. Like, are you enjoying the benefit of it? I, I don't know. Is it? I've never. I haven't not asked you. So now I'm going to be surprised by what you say. Um, so being here for, you've been here like what three or four weeks now? Yeah, I think this is the end of my third week. Okay. All right. And and uh, uh, you whatever it was that was because it sounded like there was there was like a bunch of I can't do this and I can't do that and it's like this and it's like that and now I'm that there's a bunch of stuff that was that was unpleasant being in Tacoma that's more like just being in any city and so here you are not in the city yeah and um, I've only taken allergy medication twice in the last week and I've been outside most days and, and not and still been able to breathe and I think I've only used my asthma inhaler once 
the whole time I've been here. So, um, yeah, those are big improvements for me. All right, so something's better about about being here. And so, good, that's kind of what I was fishing for. All right, wow, that is a long list. Okay, now the, the question that you put to me, and, and so it's the only one that I know of, is like, how did I even get started with gardening? And because you were saying that what people would want to know is, because um, it all sounds really hard. And I do think, and you know, let me ask, let me ask you another question before we get into it. Um, I think that my position on things is like, if we're going to look at the Wheaton Eco Scale, it's like, it's like, you know, level seven stuff. And so most of it is just fucking nuts to most people. Like 0.1% of the people are thinking that it's cool and it's, and the rest are like, this is, this is a shit show. This is a dumpster fire. And so I know that, I mean, you know, the whole concept of a willow feeder, I think, I think 99.9% .9 of the population is going to be like, why the fuck would you do that when you have a perfectly good toilet? <laughs> and um and then plus you're gonna you're gonna save save it. Is that did I hear you correctly? You're gonna save it. You're gonna you're gonna set it aside. You're gonna keep it around. Really? Yeah, there's actually like a mental disorder around saving that type of thing. But I I, I don't think the reasons you're saving it are the same as those people with that disorder. <laughs> <laughs> the key is is that I believe that um, maybe if somebody's been practicing permaculture for four or five years, then some of the things I'm proposing sound like yeah that could that could be pretty cool, you know. But if you've just heard of the word permaculture, then I think a lot of the stuff I advocate for is like, I'm out. <laughs> this is this is shit. I'm I'm done. All right. Anyway, does it does it? My my impression is it doesn't seem that crazy to you. You've been listening to my podcast, so you got a fairly good idea of where I'm at and what I'm advocating. Although I I do have to wonder because. The backlash I seem to get from a lot of other permaculture folk is pretty strong, and it's like, uh, and and I I realize I can't even explain it to them. Like the whole concept of a willow feeder, they're not ready to hear about a willow feeder. And and we've had people here who have said that the willow feeder is by far the coolest thing that we have. And so that was actually what Stephen told me was that um, once he saw the willow feeder, that's when he knew he wanted to stay. Oh, wow, cool. I, I thought that was pretty cool when I saw the willow candy warehouse. Awesome. All right. I, so I, another thing is that by being here, um, you live the way that we live, which I imagine, even though the way that you live is very permaculture, it's still very different being here. And so... It's it's it might be a bit of learning some things by just doing them over and over and over again a dozen times. I don't know, like the way that we do our compost bucket is an example. You probably don't do a compost bucket the way we do a compost bucket. I don't do a compost bucket at all. I have like a bin out back. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could make a pile and such, but 
the city will take it away for me along with all my yard waste if I want them to so all right I've, I've got a lot to say about about that but, but that's know. another story for another day the key is is that you are immersing in our world you now have experience running rocket mass heaters um, because it's that it's that time of the year and um, for the one here in the house, I think, I mean, uh, we've been going below freezing pretty much every night. Um, but I think we fire up the rocket mass heater uh, every other day. Like, I don't think we fired it up at all today. I think it was fired up yesterday. And the temperature in here right now is 71. So, um, and I can, what? Well, we did run the oven. Sure. Like normal people do. Right. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that that probably could make a little bit of a difference. But uh, we've been heating this house exclusively with wood, and the amount of wood that we use is teeny tiny trivial. All right. All I'm saying is, is that you're being exposed to this weird way that we live, and I hope that when the time comes that you go home, that it'll be like, uh, I don't know, some of this will have rubbed off on you. Um, and, and it does seem like there's some of the things that we do where, where you're like, I get to do this for the first time kind of stuff. So, and you listen to the podcast a lot. So, I don't know. All right, all right, all right, all right. Let's get to the questions. The first one was something about how did I start gardening? Yeah. And so. How did you go from computer engineer guy to, to, to gardener permaculture guy? <laughs> so, I think the year was 1993. And I had, as I was an adult, and uh, before then, like for my granddad or my aunt Donnelly, um, they had gardens, and so my job was to go out and pluck weeds. Funnily enough, the most common weed that I pulled out of the garden was purslane. Have you ever eaten purslane? I tasted it. I, I only ate it. Back in like you know 1993 or four, when I first learned that it was edible, and it's like it actually tastes really good. Kind of lemony. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you know, in hindsight, it's like oh, I pulled so much purslane, but um, uh, I could have I could have eaten it. I could have kept it. But but anyway, when I was a kid. Um, and I bounced around a lot as a kid, but for a while it was my granddad, and, um, and so I, I pulled weeds in his garden, and that was the closest I came to gardening. And then with same with my aunt, my aunt Donnelly. And so, um, but I think it was 1993 when, I don't know, I was at a grocery store or something, and I saw the seed rack, and I thought I could, you know, the seeds are so incredibly cheap. I could just buy some seeds and plant them, and then we'll have food. It's so obvious and simple. And so I came home, and I planted those seeds. Pretty much everything died. And I felt so bad. Those poor seeds. <laughs> they had the bad luck be picked up by me of all people they could have been picked up by a real gardener and so I felt so bad I, I you know they were living things and through my ignorance they died I that's when I became obsessed with reading gardening books and I read more than 100 um, in in just a few months 
Um, so then I decided to, to, to pick a spot where there was sun. <laughs> and there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of sun in this yard. And, and I built raised beds. And not only did I build raised beds, but I made sure to, I had uh, two dump truck loads of soil delivered. And this is soil from where they're doing construction. So they're scraping the soil off, scraping the topsoil off in order to build a neighborhood. And uh, I made sure it had lots of weeds. And so I was delivered two dump truck loads of uh, very weedy soil. And the reason is, is that the soil that I had to work with in Missoula was about a half an inch thick. And then it, it was just rounded gravel and rounded rocks um, <clears throat> probably because when they built the neighborhood they scraped the topsoil off so they could build things but actually I think it was uh, Lake Missoula when Lake Missoula cleared out it took all of the lake sediment with it so um, I raised a very nice garden and then another very nice garden the following year and then I took the uh, uh, certified garden or wait master gardener program and uh, from Helen Atow and that's how I met Helen Atow um, but that's that's how I got started the the thing is I do not have a green thumb what I do have is a thumb that kills all plants unless I learn the things. So, but because I've met people where they don't know what the hell they're doing, but everything just seems to grow fine. <laughs> and they don't think about it. They just kind of do whatever seems like the right thing. And they don't know why they even do it. They have a green thumb. I, on the other hand, um, I got here through book learning. Um, I, I, study, 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 study in an obsess obsessive fashion. Uh, I spent, uh, I, I checked out 30 books at a time from the library and because I was poor then, then I would go to the brand new store that just opened in Missoula called Barnas and Nobly and I would go there and they, they had these big comfy chairs and I'd get a stack of like 20 gardening books and I'd be there all day just pouring through this great. Now, at the same time, I'd come out with this software, because you were asking about the transition. I'd come out with this software, um, and what I was doing was I, I, I felt like I needed to get a new job. And so I needed to... Um, most of the stuff that I worked on either worked on, on massive systems or stuff I wasn't allowed to talk about. And so I, I felt like anybody could write a bunch of lies on a resume. I needed something that could prove my skills, something they could stick into a computer and see it go. And and it would say, written by Paul Wheaton. So uh, in a weekend, I cobbled together some software. And uh, I put it up on CompuServe. And literally overnight, like the next day, I put it up in the middle of the afternoon and the next day, um, I found myself in business. Everybody loved it. And um, it became massively popular. Um, so uh, that became my worky job. And um, 
Uh, but when gardening season rolled around, I became so obsessed with gardening, I just couldn't. And so I'm going to, I want to say I'm a very broken person. And you're making a weird face, fine. But the thing is, is that the way I'm wired is so weird. And I've gotten better at how to deal with the way that I'm wired. But I'm wired in a very weird way. But the thing is, is that the smart thing would have been to work on my budding new business. Um, but I was obsessed with gardening, and I just couldn't do anything but gardening. And I I try to do both, but really I didn't do the one I should have done. I did I did gardening, and I was hooked. And that's all I could think about. And every morning I would leap out of bed because there's more I could do with my garden. And I had so many compost piles going, and I was gathering compostable materials from far and wide. And I had... And and here's a funny thing from that era. I had this weird idea that I wanted to be able to have my garden such that it didn't need me to water it. And so um, I, I actually came up with this idea of putting like um, little butter tubs, those margarine tubs, in the soil so that that they'd fill up with water and hold water better in the soil. But I didn't do it because I knew that that would make it anaerobic. And so it would be all gross and nasty. So it was this idea that I'm trying to figure out a way to do it. Maybe if I slowed it down, poke holes in the bottom of the tubs. But then I'd have plastic in there. I don't want plastic in where my growies are. And But, but basically when I learned about culture, it was like finally the true answer and and this is partly why i'm so bonkers about how awesome hugel culture is okay you asked a question about how did i transition did i answer the question or did i somehow cleverly avoid it um i think you answered it i think you answered a couple of the other questions or started to too okay so I'm assuming, maybe I'm wrong, that SEP was your in- introduction to Google Culture? Actually, no. Um, no. Although, I did get SEP's stuff, I think it was in 2001 or 2002. He had the three VHS tapes, and I bought those, and they were very expensive. And I had to pay even more to get them shipped over from England, of all places. So... Uh, and then I proceeded to watch them over and over and over again. But it wasn't until 2005, January of 2005, when um, I attended my very first PDC, and that's where I first heard the word Google culture. Now, that said, by that point, I had already read the book Gaia's Garden, and it turns out Google culture is mentioned in Gaia's Garden. And so it's like, apparently I glossed over it somehow in Gaia's Garden. But during the PDC, I was so inspired by it. And I think everybody there was keen on it. We were at some point where we were hiking for like a mile from some farm to some other place. I don't, I don't remember why. But as we're all hiking in a line on a trail, 
um, we all started kind of chanting, who goat culture, who goat culture, who goat. I have no idea why. It didn't mean anything. It wasn't any, but we did that. And it was funny and it was delightful. So we, that's a, that's a thing that totally fucking happened. <laughs> so, uh, after the PDC, I Googled it because we had this new googly roo. And um, I Googled it, and there was no other hugel culture on all of the interwebs. So I wrote the very first page on Internet about hugel culture. Um, and uh, now it is possibly a bit outdated, and I should go in there and, and polish it up a bit. <laughs> so... You know, you said that you don't know how you glossed over it, but maybe that was part of your progress on the Wheaton Eco Scale. All right. As it was too far advanced at the time, the first time you ran into it, to to really click. Well, we did that thing where it's like the 17 podcast review of Gaia's Garden, where we go chapter by chapter reviewing, like, everything. And that's when I saw it. Like, holy shit, there it is. I, I must have gone... But it was, it was a very, very tiny sidebar mention. It was, and it didn't exactly, you know, describe it in detail or anything. Yeah. Um, so, bagging up for a big second, kind of going chronologically, were there things other than just weeding the garden that you experienced as a child that helped you to prepare to be interested in even love permaculture and homesteading? So I I lived in a lot of different situations as a kid, and um, uh, let's say that some of those were uh, shy of optimal. And uh, I mean, I can never say I had a bad childhood because I never had any of that awful sex and rapey stuff that I hear some kids have to go through. I never had to go through anything like that. But um, when I moved in with my granddad at the age of 11, it's like I had gone to heaven. And um, so we have uh, an apple tree out here that is a yellow transparent. And although it is contrary to my greater goals for how to do apple trees here, I have to have a yellow transparent because granddad had one apple tree and it was a yellow transparent so they come on very early in the year they're edible for about three days and then they're gone <laughs> <laughs> and i have a yellow transparent in tacoma <laughs> so the, the the key is the yellow transparent apple has a certain flavor to it that's a little different than other apples and i need that and um it is so important to me to taste that flavor and so we had a few quite a few this year um and uh i don't know it's it's a, it's it's the earliest apple ever and and then it's gone so fast so it's like get your apples eat them now shut up <laughs> they're gone <laughs> was that kind of like the magic taste from childhood of like the first first homegrown it's, delicious it's, produce as opposed to the store-bought dick? Let's just say that as a kid I was very disposable before getting to Granddad's. And then when I was at Granddad's, uh, it was 
so different. So um, three meals a day are cooked for me. That was bizarre and awesome. And um, and I remember being so happy to be there and wanting to please him so much because I was so grateful that I tried to clean his shop. And there was, I'm 11, right? But I'm still a giant kid for 11, you know? And uh, I, I remember... I was going to tidy away a 24-volt tractor battery. So it's quite a bit bigger than a 12-volt. So it's heavy, and I'm a kid. And I'm trying to move it, and I dropped it. And it broke. And Granddad heard that, and he came running. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I have just ruined this really awesome thing. I was trying to do a nice thing and instead I break this very valuable thing. And the second, like the the, the, the instant Granddad came around the corner and I thought I was going to catch out for this. Like, you know, oh no, oh no, oh no. He said, are you okay? And that's all he cared about. He didn't give a shit about the battery. All he cared about was if I was okay. So, you're asking me, was there anything from my childhood <laughs> that made me... Th so, Granddad not only lived out in the country, but it was the country of the country of the country. We were we were a long ways out. And uh, we were a long ways out in very rural county. <laughs> so... Uh, like we might see one car a day going down the road and when we could see it going down the road we knew who it was and where they were going <laughs> and if we didn't recognize that vehicle we got really concerned because that was like once a month there was a vehicle we didn't recognize that's how far out in the country we were um, but this was 500 acres and um, he taught me how to drive a tractor. He taught me how to drive a truck. That's a funny story for another day. Uh, he, uh, we had cattle, my, my uncle's cattle. Uh, I got paid 18 cents a bale to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go feed the cattle. Get back in time for 6 a.m. is when breakfast is served. I know it's 6 a.m. because the radio would be on and it would have static. And at 6 a.m. you could hear the Star Spangled Banner. And then the opening stuff for KWVR, Wallowa Valley Radio. And uh, so exactly 6 a.m. And that's when breakfast hit the table. And that's and you, you're expected to be at the table sitting down to eat your breakfast when the Star Spangled Banner started. So, um, yeah, this 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 may have something to do with it all. I went from uh, being disposable and I don't know, maybe loathed even, uh, maybe. Uh, Maybe I, I was, I, I, I suppose, even though I tried not to be a burden, I was saw, seen as a burden. I was um, an unwanted child. 
and then I was not only I was wanted and not only wanted but it was awesome we got up at 5 o'clock well before 5 o'clock every morning and we went and we did all kinds of farm chores and we ate our breakfast and then we went out and did more farm chores and then we had lunch and he cooked lunch and I did the dishes um, and uh, uh, you know then all afternoon was more you know stuff we're mending fence we're moving the cattle we're feeding the cattle we're you know this, there's just stuff that has to be done it just has to be done it just has to be done and we're doing it and I don't know it's like there was nobody else around but me and him we were besties and he was awesome and at night after dinner we'd read books although I gotta tell you every once in a while um, well first of all he would turn on Lawrence Welk I can't tell you how much I hate Lawrence Welk <laughs> <laughs> and, and once in a while we would watch MASH but he would complain the whole time bunch of damn hippies <laughs> And we did watch Have Gun Will Travel. He liked that show. And somebody gave me a record with some music on it, and I tried to play it, and he did not care for it. It was definitely not Lawrence Welk. <laughs> but we read a lot of books. We did a lot of reading. Usually at night it was totally quiet while we each read books. I don't know. I, I went from being unwanted to very wanted and it was out in the sticks it was rural we were very busy people talk about how bored they are out in the country there's nothing to do and it's like there's always something to do there's so much to do and and it, okay now here's here's something else so supposedly I'm a smart kid and whatnot there's stuff I don't want to get into that but I remember over and over and over again we get to a thing that needs mending and he would st he would take a, a step back what do you think we ought to do and I'd I'd have a think and and I'd make a suggestion you know, well if you did that then this other thing oh okay I mean I've never looked at any of this stuff before I don't have any idea what to do but I would I would try I would he asked me to think of something, so I'm gonna try to think of something. And then he, then I'd come up with something and say, uh, "That sounds like that'll be good enough. Let's let's try that." And so we would do it. We would do the thing that I thought of, and then it would work. I'm Edward Norton. No, not that one. The other one. And I love pies. No, not that kind. The other kind. Hermes is an old school forum packed full of friendly people who occasionally give out a slice of pie. You'll never forget your first slice of pie. It made me feel so good, I had to buy a whole pie so I could share the love. Oh, and there's apples too. Sign up at permies.com to join in the world of homesteading and permaculture, and you too might get a slice of pie. And I have experienced something like that this week. Um, we were men in gate, and we had to do a latch. And I've never done a latch or even mended gates like that before, and, and I got to design a latch and I was like that's cool I didn't know that I had the capacity to do that kind of thing and uh, the, the consensus was yeah you kind of discover that stuff about yourself here in boot camp um, so it sounds I, I can relate to, to that boy 
um, feeling that sense of accomplishment that's very different from like a school accomplishment, for example, or a work achievement in, in a worky job. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, like, for example, I remember being behind this tractor that had to be like a 1910 tractor. I mean, it was it was so old and and it's like uh and there was something about the PTO that was driving the irrigation pump that was off and so this is the thing we had fixed but i also remember um there were these these springs on the property and some uh trout had worked their way up the little you know creaky you know th- kind of like i want crick's not even the right word um uh uh ditch might be a better word um you could easily jump over it but there there got to be some trout in there and um and i'd go throw a hook in there with a grasshopper and pull out some trout and bring them home and granddad would do this big dang about how I'm the founder of the feast, and this is so good. And I'm just picking all the bones out of my mouth. Like, this is a lot of bones. And he never complained about the bones. This is so good. Oh, I don't know if I've ever had trout this good. And uh, so he made such a big deal. So, so, yeah, is there something from my childhood that makes me... So keen on homesteading and permaculture. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Sounds like you're uh, kind of sharing that experience with a lot of people now. Um, So fast forward a little bit. Like, graduated high school, you're probably either going to college or start or or have just finished college. So you're a young adult, but you haven't really started doing the gardening thing yet. What were you like or interested in then before you found the gardening thing? Like, like, how would your friends describe you in three to five words or a sentence? Oh, that's easy. Obnoxious. Uh, I think everybody wanted to make sure that I knew how obnoxious I was. So, uh, obnoxious. I mean, at the same time, I was very obsessed with software engineering. Um, I developed a lot of my own theories about software engineering and, and how to do it. And um, uh, I did I, I, I did a, a lot of it. Um, and and uh, um, in this period of time you're, you're talking about, I, I do want to say Granddad died. And for more than a year, I couldn't do anything. And so part of me being broken, I mean... I was, I don't know, I was all fucked up. Um, it was, it was really hard on me. And, and, uh, so, but about a year and a half later, I started getting back into it again and, and doing things. But, um, I, I, re, uh, I don't know, this, this time period, um, I owned a bicycle and I did, I refused to own a car. I went everywhere on my bicycle. That made you popular with the ladies, didn't it? You know, uh, not exactly. Um, I was a by-myself fella an awful lot. But there was a period of time when I was 21 or so, 21, 22, somewhere around in there. And I worked as an accounting clerk for Fred Meyer in Portland, Oregon. And... um, 
I worked in the accounts payable office. I was one of two guys working with 70 women. And then we had this new mayor, Mayor Bud Clark. He was a bartender. He was voted as mayor. And then he came up, because we all us fellas, we were required to wear ties to work. And, um, you know, I'm sure there was dress codes for the ladies, too. But, you know, I, I did not like wearing a tie. And I had to shave every day, too. And so, I mean, these are, this is the era. You had to do this. So, with his new, uh, mayor, and he, he made this day, I think it was a Wednesday, and it was for one day a year that he proclaimed for all offices in all of Portland, Oregon, it's come as you are day. And so it was thoroughly documented in all the, this is something from way back, we called them newspapers. I don't know if you've ever seen one. (laughs) But on that day, so we all knew that this, and Fred Meyer says that they are going to honor that. And that all of the people, because I worked in the office, right? There was, I mean, it was a sea of desks. And it was a huge sea of desks. There was a lot of people. And so... Um, yeah, we didn't all have programs to do everything yet. That's right. That's right. I'll, I'll, that's another story, Fred Meyer. But, okay. Anyway, so I'm just an accounting clerk. And um, and this one gal, she says to me, uh, if you come as you are tomorrow wearing shorts... I'll buy you breakfast because there's like a cafeteria downstairs. She says, I'll buy, I'll buy you breakfast. I was like, well, I, I thought that was no, nobody, no gal has ever suggested anything like that to me. And so I said, uh, okay. And so I wore shorts and, uh, uh, and then, and then later, so I got my breakfast and there was like, I don't know, uh, uh, 15 women who all had to go down and watch me eat my breakfast in shorts. Apparently that's a thing back then. <laughs> so anyway, um, later that morning, some, uh, a fella, uh, came from some other office and he's walking down to use the copying machine where we're at or something. And he's like, what's going on? What's with all the, and, and you're wearing shorts? What the, what's, what's happening? And I said, Hey, Hey, guess what? I, I was told that if I wore shorts, I got free, so I got a free breakfast, man. And so then he's like, a free breakfast. And so then he's wearing a suit, right? So he, he starts rolling his pant legs up <laughs> and trying to show him off. Hey, ladies! <laughs> I'm feeling a bit peckish. I'd like to have some breakfast. You know, if you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he didn't get any breakfast. <laughs> but that was still pretty funny. That was pretty funny. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> it was about how what you were like as a young man, and, and you said they would. So, in what way were you obnoxious? Were you the obnoxious know-it-all, or were you the obnoxious like obsessed with with a thing that nobody else really wants to talk about? I think, I think, I think I was as much as I live large now. This is one tenth of what it used to be. So as much as life is glorious and grand and and it's like I just go and go and go and I do so much and so it's like uh 
I, I, and, and I get ideas for things. I was young and full of stupid ideas. And it's like, um, and I had to share them with anybody who would hold still and tell them all of my thoughts. And it was, um, I think for most people, it was a bit overwhelming. Yeah. And and that might be why I I, I didn't date much back then. <laughs> <laughs> might also be why you have a podcast today, because then uh, then only the people who want to hear it can listen. Well, there's that too. Yeah, only the people who want to hear it can listen. Sure, sure, sure. But um, I know that like my first real girlfriend, she made it her life's mission to calm me the fuck down, <laughs> and and it's like uh, so she got me different clothes and she was like you know calm down man calm down oh easy easy so um and she was lovely and delightful and good and and it's like um uh but i i did i did come to a point at the end of our relationship where i came to the conclusion that i was compliant in all of these changes and um uh, I didn't like the person that I had become, and neither did she. And it was I was a becoming I I'd be basically become a kind of a nobody. And um, yeah, so I I did what everybody else did, and I calmed down, and I was. But once I realized that, I went back to my wicked ways. And um, I think I think that uh, that that women of the time were looking for somebody cool. Which was not me. I was obnoxious. And I know that because everybody pointed it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So when you discovered Sepp's work, your videotapes, right? When you watched them for the first time, what about them called to you? Was it like an instant recognition that this guy is really onto something? Or more like he was so far from you on the eco scale that you kind of thought he was nuts but super entertaining I watched those videos for the first time and not only did I love 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 them but it immediately gave me ideas for things that I did not see in the in the in the videos but I I I think I probably watched all three videos three times the first day and then once the next day, and I, you know, by the time it got to be two months old, I think by then I'd, I'd watched them all about 18 times, um, as a guess. But I know that we showed the Sepulcher videos here, uh, like a year or two ago, and I was thinking that this is probably like the 28th time that I've seen them. Um, maybe more than that. But, um, so what was what was going through my head? Um, he the videos showed him in winter with animals and um, all the ponds and uh, uh, basically I mean before watching the videos I was terracing and um, building lots of ponds and so it just seemed like he was. 15 years 20 years ahead of me and and it was like if I work hard and you know do good things then someday this I can do this too but you know I already I was getting all kinds of ideas above and beyond what was there and then it wasn't until I met him that I learned that a lot of the things that I'd been thinking of are things that he has now done 
and so um, anyway, uh, does that does that answer? The, yeah, so it's it? kind of like you're like like on the same wavelength. Like here's here's somebody who's close close to my thought processes and, and inspiring to me because of it. Which I think is most of the people who admire SEP. I think they're in the same place. They're they are already like keen on permaculture in a flavor, and they think that they're all on their own. And then they learn about SEP, and they realize, oh, good. Somebody is ahead of me on this path. That is a relief, because you feel like it's, it could be just stupid. This could all be dumb. And so it's good to see somebody who's really doing it and, and really knocking it out of the park. Yeah. The, so we in Eagle Scale has come up a couple times. Was there a specific catalyst for that? Yes. Was it, yeah. Was Definitely. It observed pattern or all at once or gradual? What? How did how did that happen? So I think I wrote about it in my book, um, the the Building a Better World book, um, and uh, it might even be on the thread at Permies, um, but it it goes like this. Um, I heard about I I was in. I think I was was I I was in the Seattle area. I don't know if I was living there or visiting there or whatever, but I was in the Seattle area and I heard about a woman who ha- wrote for the Portland Oregonian, so Portland, you know, three and a half hours away. And um she wrote a, a column about being green or going green or something like that. So for one year she dabbled in trying to live a greener life and then she resigned she said I have to quit because of death threats against me and my family and so basically the death threats came from people that insisted that she needed to travel a green path that was different than the path that she was traveling and they felt just this strongly about it obey or I will kill you and um, so she kind of felt like you know I need to drop this column for my safety and the safety of my children so uh, that is the day that I I wrote the Wheaton Eco Scale and it's kind of like um, you know um so she's like dabbling with level one, level two stuff. And um, these people are being angry that she's not doing level seven stuff, which she can't, she's not ready to even try to understand yet. And so it's kind of like, how, how do we collectively move forward without stabbing each other? And, and so that was the purpose of making the Wheaton Ecoscale. And then, did, so was it like, like, did it just appear in your head fully formed, or or did you spend time like I don't know. sketching it out? I think I talk about this kind of stuff a lot, <clears throat> and then um, uh, I I don't know. I I know I recorded a podcast. Well, I know I recorded a podcast a long time ago where I talked about um, somebody who wanted to hurt somebody else but they knew it wasn't the Christian thing to do 
but they felt like it might be the Christian thing to do to hurt this other person because the the stuff going on was so extreme and severe. And so I remember in the podcast talking about, let's suppose Jesus is level 100 and you're like trying to think about like, okay, you know, but you got to keep in mind at level 100, you've already given away all your stuff. You don't, you don't have any stuff and, and there's uh you would give away your clothes too, but people could be so weird about a naked dude. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and you might not hear the other things you have to say, <laughs> you know. But, uh, and so I, I, when I was talking to the guy, I said, let's pretend for a moment you're level 12, because you're nowhere near giving away all your stuff, right? And so, you know, what does it, t- what does it take to get to the next couple of levels? What is, what do you got to do? What is the test? What is the, the life experience? How do you, how do you get better at this? So that was a podcast long long i don't my guess is so i don't know given levels to things like that i i feel like i was doing that an awful lot but in this case i needed to be a lot more specific um and uh, uh and so i i had i added a lot of math i mean it's a it's a reverse base 10 logarithmic scale right and and so uh, I spelled out how many people are at each level and, and things of that nature. So, But I kind of feel like that kind of scale thing pops into my head all the time. What's cool is is I see people saying the Wheaton Eco Scale. And I think what they mean to say is the number of people at each scale, uh, at each level. And then they're, they're saying, but at, at the top, at, at level 10... They replace Sepp Holzer with some other person or some other concept or something like that. And then they fill the levels with people in their industry and here's, you know, the things that they think or whatever. Does that make sense? I've seen it and it's like, cool! Yeah, I think you created a a model that people appreciate and and like to plug in differently. on the topic of creating things, how did you transition from computer engineering to Duke of Permaculture, and how did you know when it was time to do that? Well, first, Duke of Permaculture is a silly, dumb, stupid thing. It 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 really there's nothing. There is no Duke of Permaculture. There's nothing there. It's that's completely empty. It's just a bit of silly, and uh, uh, and then. Sepp Holzer made me a medal. He, he called it a medal, the giant chunk of wood that says the Duke. And Sepp Holzer fucking made that, and he's never awarded anybody anything else like it. So, I'm sorry, that's now my most prized possession. And, uh, and, and by the way, when you address a Duke, it's your grace, not hey dipshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it's it's just silly fun. So okay, you're saying how did I get from a software engineer to that? To calling the podcaster, author, full time permaculture well, okay. and homesteader guy. So the first thing was is getting obsessed about gardening, right? Right. And then and then I and then I think like most gardeners that get obsessed with gardening, you need you need to grow more things. I, there's there's more seeds to plant. There's yeah, more trees to plant. I think, I think it's, to I think it's like grow bigger first and then grow better and then grow harder. 
So like grow more difficult things or things that shouldn't normally be here. But in an urban lot, you've got limited space. Right. You can only grow so much. So bigger, 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 bigger. I need more, 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 more. And um, uh, then I, I did the master guard master gardener training. Then I did the advanced master gardener training, mm-hmm. and um, which is also with Helen Atow. And uh, um, I got more land. And then, then I, then I kind of became super keen on the idea of what I called my cows and chickens plan. And so, um, I then, while working two full-time jobs, um, I voraciously read like every homesteading book, everything Joel Salatin's ever written, um, uh, just all kind, every magazine, um, and uh, and then I scrimped and saved, and finally got enough to uh, get 80 acres out on Mount Spokane. And um, then I was on Mount Spokane, and I was doing all these experiments, and somebody pointed out the word permaculture, and then I became obsessed with learning about permaculture. I had somehow never heard of it. And so now I'm drinking in the, everything that has anything to do with about permaculture, and I'm loving every second of it. And then um, uh, that was 2001 when I heard the word permaculture for the first time. Um, it was in 2004 that I was working in aerospace on the ground systems for the spacecraft that takes the pictures for Google Earth. And... Um, I I remember meeting a couple of regional permaculture leaders and attempting to convince them how they can shift things in their life so that they can reach a much larger audience. And I kind of got the impression that they didn't want to do that. And so uh, it occurred to me that I think I can reach millions of people uh, follow my own advice, but I would have to ditch my career. And so in January of 2005, I left that job and went and took my first PDC and <clears throat> uh, yeah, that's that was the, the transition point. As far as being Duke, um, uh, that's just a dumb thing with, I, I, I said that in, in this podcast, I said to Jeff Lawton, like, okay, you're the crown prince because he was, he is. And, uh, I, I, I don't know cause he's not stepping into Bill Mollison's shoes exactly, but he kind of is, but Bill Mollison being the king. And so I, I said, okay, you're the crown prince and Bill was still alive. And then he said, well, then you're the Duke. And, and I said, I'm going to put that on all my stationery. And that's, that's where the stupidness came from. That's where it started. And it's just a dumb thing. It's just a dumb thing, but still it's fun. And, and when Jocelyn was here, then she liked to call herself, she had it in her signature on Permis, Duchess, so she, she was enjoying it as well. So, but now that position's open. <laughs> I, I think the metal stuff gave you is pretty awesome. There's, the video of that is on YouTube. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This podcast is continued in part two. Hi, this is Mark. There are a lot of reasons to get angry these days, but I prefer to focus on the positive things that we each can do to make this world a better place. 
the book Building a Better World in Your Backyard, instead of being angry at bad guys, is a great resource for just that. Instead of throwing my arms up in frustration at governments or big corporations, there's a list of ideas that we each can tackle to affect change. Information about this book and other resources can be found at permies.com.